Hi, Sam. Hi, Marco. (laughs) (laughs) The sound of broken spirits. (laughs) So fun fact, uh, you know this, but our listeners don't know this. This is the third time that we've had to record this because, uh, yeah. So you were bad at, I'm I'm bad at my job. Uh, I'm going to blame the cat. I'm going to blame the cat. Yeah. Yeah. There was well, a... Well, because the, in between the first recording mm-hmm. and the second recording, mm-hmm. both of which mm-hmm. were messed up, Yeah. Sonia and I recorded something with yeah. the exact same setup. Oh, yeah. It was fine. I think he comes in and presses buttons There's one when button. I'm not looking. Anyway, so this is the third time, and hopefully now the audio actually sounds good, and we sound like we're in the same room, and... Uh, you can hear both of us. If you can't, we're at the Baba Yaga Project on Twitter. Come let us know. Yes. Yeah. This will be the last. Whatever. This is what you're getting, yeah, guys. This is, this is the best we got. <laughs> um, so this thing that we're going to talk about for a third time. Now, Margo, you know this quite well. I, I am an ancient historian now, I think. Okay, cool. Awesome. I love it. <laughs> So we're going to talk about uh, a debate that apparently you've never heard, but sometimes shows up on the internet about yeah. like our comic book stories, our superhero stories, like ancient mythology, right? Right. And this is a conversation that some people want to have, and I think you know there are big differences because ancient mythology has a clear religious function that modern yeah. comic book superhero stories doesn't have. Despite my attempts to set up. The cult I, of Spider-Man. I, yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I'm sure somebody's tried. Um, but there is a similar form where there are key story kind of kernels and key characters that mm-hmm. everybody kind of understands, but stories get retold and retold in different ways, and we learn right. new things about the characters each time. And in fact, the only way that we have access to like kind of the Ur character or the kernel of the story is through the retelling. Right? And so just like with Batman, there have been so many different Batsmen from, like, the original <laughs> comics to the 1960 TV show to what I lovingly call Nipples von Schumacher uh, to, like, the grimdark killing joke slash Nolan yeah. stuff. Right? And uh, the first time I recorded this, you pointed out the new Rob Pats version, which <laughs> apparently you watched on a plane and kind of liked. I did watch it on a plane. I liked that... Because it does that one does focus a lot on yeah, yeah. Batman being an angsty teen because yeah. his parents died so young, but then really dives into like he's been idolizing his parents who supposedly did so much for the community and he wants to do all this stuff for the community and then they were like, Your dad was just a capitalist, dude. Right. Get over yourself. Right. And then he's like, Have I even been helping people by punching the pores in the face yes that's how we we help people (laughs) no but so each of those versions of the story tells us something new about the character tells us something new about the culture that's producing this character and that's very similar to the way that mythology right the system of stories that's what mythology means the system of stories that's that's how how that worked as well and so today and our listeners will know this from the title of the episode i want to talk about one of my favorite mythological characters who is the non-greek witch medea yes and i have just told you this story so i'm not going to ask you again do you know the story of jason and medea 
I do now. Oh, you do now. Okay. <laughs> well, let me just retell it for you again. Yeah. Because, you know, this is a character who changes over time right. that we know through different retellings. Right. The most complete version of the story of Jason and Medea is uh, from the third century epic poem by Apollonius of Rhodes called the Argonautica. Mm-hmm. And this is the story of Jason's voyage in particular modeled after the Odyssey. So Jason starts in a part of Greece called Iolcus. Right. He gets given a suicide mission because of some prophecy shenanigans to go get the Golden Fleece in Colchis, which is on the far edge of the known world for the Greeks. It's modern day, like the Republic of Georgia on the far eastern coast of the Black ah, Sea. Okay. So that area there. A bunch of heroes join with him. They build a big boat called the Argo. They get called the Argonauts, the sailors of the Argo, after the boat. Right. Perfect. They eventually get to Colchis after some misadventures, where Medea is the daughter of the king. The king's name is Aetes. Aetes says that Jason can have the fleece, but only after he does some tasks, which I call tricky chores. And so this is something about plowing the earth, sowing dragon's teeth, and then the dragon, dragon's teeth grow into soldiers that Jason then has to kill. So it's like this tricky chore. Right. The gods want, especially Hera and Athena, want jason to succeed Mm -hmm. so they get aphrodite on board aphrodite gets her son eros on board and eros shoots an arrow at medea the powerful witch princess and so she falls in love with jason okay medea finds this very very difficult because (laughs) she is a good girl like hashtag good girl in uh, apollonius's version of the story even though she's a powerful witch she gets really conflicted about this she doesn't feel like she could or should help him so she goes searching through her box of potions and magic tricks and pulls out she's looking for something to kill herself with and then pulls out the thing that will help jason and so she goes and she helps jason jason succeeds with her help he promises to marry her and they run off together her brother follows with a fleet and medea ends up tricking him the brother and jason kills him so Medea then becomes a fratricide, and this is complicated. So, yeah. yeah. Sounds not good. They have further misadventures on their way back to Greece, and the mm-hmm. story ends just as they're about to arrive back in Yolkis. Not right back home, but just on the edge of arriving home. Right. The Argonautica is a Hellenistic story. So this is after Alexander spread the Greek culture far and wide around the Eastern Mediterranean, mm-hmm. and it's a very multicultural context where... An appreciation of older Greek literature is a mark of culture, and there's sort of an encyclopedia, a psych, encyclopedic impulse. So people want to show off, like Apollonius Rhodes does, all of the knowledge that they have about all these different places and all of these different stories. And so, like that's why he writes this voyage story about they can stop at all these places, he can show off what he knows. Right. Right. Really streamlining the plot there. Yeah, and he also has a fairly conservative sort of gender role that he wants Medea to be ascribed to. She right. is a nice unmarried girl, even though she has a brother. Right? <laughs> but they end right before they get back to Greece. And the story, of course, continues. We just know it from other versions of the story, most okay. of which are earlier. Right. Or, like, they're later in the story, but are from earlier version, like, earlier literary texts. The earliest version, and so this is how we know it's a really ancient story, comes from Hesiod. Hesiod is the second oldest Greek poet that we know of after the poet that we call Homer, probably a tradition of poets who write the Iliad and the Odyssey. Mm-hmm. The third oldest epic poem we have is Hesiod's Theogony. Right. 
and it's a genealogical text about the origins of the world and of the gods and it ends with like the first generation of heroes okay. and Medea and Jason are like right at the end like they're the, like the third to last uh, couple that are mentioned I've now told you the joke twice that he sees one of his other genealogical texts is called the Catalog of Women. Right. And now we have twice, and now a third time, laughed about Mitt Romney and his binders full of women, because that's what I always think of. He's got binders full of women. Yeah, it's a old political joke, but it makes me laugh. And in, in the Theognes version of the Medea and Jason story, pretty much all it says is that they have a son named Medeas. Mm-hmm. Herodotus historian... And again, question mark on historian because he gets all this stuff wrong. He writes right after the Persian Wars and is trying to make sense of why there seems to be this ongoing conflict between the two sides of the Aegean Sea. So the Greeks on one mm-hmm. side and the non-Greek barbarians on the other side. So he has this proto-Orientalist sort of East versus West clash of civilizations mm-hmm. thing. And he brings it back to stories like the Jason Medea story. So right. he says right at the beginning of, of the of his histories in the first first opening he talks about all of these old myths of women getting stolen back and forth across the sea so you know paris comes from troy and kidnaps helen and brings her back to troy and that causes a war okay so and then vice versa uh europa comes and gets kidnapped across the sea and then jason goes to colchis and steals medea and so there's one of these examples he also mentions Medea later on in the in the histories when he's describing the Persian army and the Persian Empire and all the different tribes that make up the empire and contribute to the army. And one of the tribes is called the Medes. And the Medes are such a core tribe in the empire that sometimes other Greek authors will just use the two terms interchangeably. The Persians right. and the Medes are the same thing. Um, and obviously Mede sounds like Medea. So yes. he says... This tribe was named after Medea because she ends up there at the end of her life. That's where she finally settles. Okay. And he says that she goes with Jason to Greece, ends up in Athens, and then goes to to Persia. Right. Interesting story. <laughs> but why does she end up in Athens? Well, that is part of the intermediate story. And that brings mm-hmm. us to probably the most influential story, retelling of her story, which is right. Euripides' Medea. So this is a couple decades after uh, Herodotus, right at the height of the Athenian Empire. They've defeated the Persians. They haven't yet been mm-hmm. defeated by the Spartans. And Euripides is the most pessimistic of the Greek trage- tragedians for whom we have complete plays. So there's three, Aeschylus, Sophocles, and then Euripides. And he's the... Debbie Downer. He's the youngest and the most... He's the one who's most willing to, to innovate. Mm-hmm. And he's very pessimistic about, like, human nature. Ah, okay. And this story picks up after Medea and Jason have arrived back in Greece. They're not living in Iolcus. They're living in a place in the city of Corinth, which is between Athens and Sparta. Mm -hmm. And they're living there not as citizens. So Jason decides that even though he and Medea have two sons together, he's going to marry, properly marry, a a Corinthian princess named Crusa, and he justifies this to Medea by saying, this is going to be good for the boys, right? Because now we're going to have a settled legal status. Yeah, you're going to be, you know, an outcast from multiple societies, but it's good for me because I've got a hot young wife who's rich and powerful and politically connected. 
and uh, I'm going to have two kids already. Great. Like, I love this. It's great for me. Yeah, so this is a situation, like, she doesn't get to, like, stay No, there. She, she she's supposed to go away. She's Just go to... away quietly. Right. And, of course, she doesn't, right? Because she's this powerful <laughs> bitch. So she decides that she's going to kill Croissa, not Jason. He ends up dying alone in poverty. Uh, but she kills Croissa with a poisoned crown that makes her body dissolve. And it's this great dramatic moment because you don't actually see... You, you couldn't reproduce that with special effects at the time. So you don't see it on stage. The One of the conventions of Greek tragedy is that the violence always happens off stage. Right. And then you've got a messenger coming in describing it in vivid detail, which is even better, right? Because then you have to imagine. It's like, yeah, great. So uh, she gets dissolved. She gets dissolved. Croissa gets dissolved. Women supporting women. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but then the thing that Euripides adds, and it might have been another tragedy in writing right before Euripides, but the Euripides version is the one we have, is that Medea kills the kids as well. And doesn't Fuck even let kids. Jason see the bodies. Right? <laughs> it's like this, and she doesn't do this with poison. She personally goes and kills the kids and burns down the house. And it's like, it's, yeah, 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 yeah. And that's crazy. Right? That's, a, mean, that's yeah, a crazy a thing. Bit. And then the other other famous scene that Euripides probably adds is right at the end of the play. Uh, as as Medea has been planning the murders, the king of Athens, Aegeus, comes to Corinth and says, hey, you can come back with me to Athens. And so at the end of the play, she does in a chariot pulled by dragons. Like it's this great, literally God from the machine. Like there's stage machinery comes down with a chariot pulled by dragons and pulls her away. Right? Fantastic. But think about what the effect would have been in the scene to have this, to have this innovation, right? You're sitting in the theater. Mm -hmm. You think, you know, this story, it's a story that your grandparents told you. (laughs) And then they pull the rugs out of it by making her kill her kids. Right, Euripides just is crazy bait and switch, or maybe this earlier tragedy and who, who did it first, but there's there's this crazy bait and switch in the tragic theater mm-hmm. that changes the myth. Well, it's this religious story. Can you change a religious story? Like, I mean, we, we so we, I'm gonna go with yes, yes. right? Because and <laughs> there are modern examples of this, um, but that's very similar, I think, to the way that you know. Ah the grim dark version of uh batman surplants in our mind the 1960s surfing batman (laughs) yeah 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 i love that yeah yeah so i find this like interesting on a couple of levels Mm -hmm. because there's right the level of like do religious stories change yeah which yes they do so if you want to i mean even it within like like the Bible, for example, you have multiple stories yeah. of Jesus's birth of the nativity yeah. that sort of gets smushed together into yeah. what we like generally conceptually think of as like the cultural idea of Jesus's birth. Yeah. And then we have, right, like the influence of what I like to refer to as Renaissance fan fiction. Yeah. That changes the whole idea of how we think about hell and Lucifer and all of those things with like Milton and Dante and yeah. Yeah, those yeah. guys. Um, but in my weird little section of the internet to just like bring this sort of full circle because like, right. I'm not scrolling through a bunch of stuff about like ancient Greek tragedies. You're not cool enough. I know. 
I really need to work on myself. No, but on Tumblr, <laughs> where you hang out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where we talk about fan fiction. Yeah. But, right, I saw this article that was kind of interesting that was talking about, right, like, especially in this fate, what we like to think of as a secular age, and we can argue about that yeah. at another time as to whether or not it actually is. But a lot of our the stories, the way that we understand our societies, these like mythos that we talk about, which can be like the superheroes or even, you know, we can argue how, how successful Tolkien was and mm-hmm. like his creation of a new mythos. But they, a lot of that stuff, right? Like Tolkien, for example, is still copywritten. Mm-hmm. And so in a space where there are serious legal constraints mm-hmm. over retelling stories or playing with things that have constructed the the culture that you live in how do you engage with that and the argument of this article was fan fiction yeah was that it's like in this sort of legal limbo space of um like derivative works yeah but i thought that was interesting yeah or in like the lord of the rings tv show that just came out which you have refused to watch, which I, I refuse to watch as well, but only because I hate Amazon. But <laughs> I mean, so y- yes, that is an, another reason. And I, I want all of these disasters of very expensive shows that Amazon takes on to help to run them into the ground. Yeah. Um, luckily for me, my moral issues with what they have done to Tolkien's work, uh, which really revolve around like the base story of Galadriel and the world building that they're trying to do because they can't access the Cimmerillion. Yeah. Um, aside from that, it turns out that apparently the show was just also bad that they spent like a billion dollars and it was just bad. Yeah. <laughs> it was poorly written and everything looked bad, yeah. but yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, fiction. so fan fiction and the last time we had this conversation, <laughs> I also brought up that there actually this we can connect this back into uh, Euripides because there is a great paper by a guy named Ralph M. Rosen. I've never read anything else by him, but he's got a paper called Aristophanes Fandom and the Classicizing of Greek Tragedy. And he's talking specifically about uh, the experience of being in the theater. And we don't think it's controversial, but we don't think that scripts for these plays would have circulated except for, like, the version that was performed, right? Right. And then, you know, people maybe would write that down. He, mm-hmm. he Rosen argues that um, we can compare this to modern fandom, where the affective relationship that you have with this performance, it's right. like uh, Star Trek fandom in the 1960s, where you wouldn't expect to see the episode again. So, yeah. But people could still quote it, right? Yeah. Because you watched it and you loved it and you knew it through that love. And so he thinks that there's a similar process going on here. And that's why Aristophanes, the comedian, can quote long passages from Euripides, even though he probably didn't have a written version of the text. And that might even be why written versions of the text survive at all, because people would come out of the theater and write it down. Right? (laughs) And just trade it around and and then rewrite it so that, like, Jason and one of his Argonauts are, like, in love. Yeah. And maybe that's All what Euripides Spock is doing Spock and Kirk, like. And maybe Euripides is doing that here, too, because, you know, maybe it's this other tragedian whose name I actually didn't write down who came up with the idea of Medea killing her kids, right? He might be riffing on something that's circulated mm-hmm. in the culture anyway. 
I think that's really cool, right? Like this yeah. connection to fandom and classical. So, you know, like it means that the Trekkies in the 1960s didn't invent zines. Yeah, like, I love the stuff, idea like, that the zine, zines were invented in ancient Greece. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hot take yeah. from yeah. break time. Yeah. Anyway, zines were invented cool. in ancient Greece. And if you want to continue supporting us, uh, uh, having these sort of cool conversations on the mic, you can support us on Patreon, which is patreon.com at the Bab- No, patreon.com slash yes. the Babby Project. The Babby Yager Project. Uh, and that's also our Twitter. We're at the Babby Yager Project. Mm-hmm. And what's our Instagram? The Babby Yager Project. And our TikTok? The Babby Yager Project. Oh, okay. well, that's consistent. That's great. <laughs> it is the same thing. We, we were the only ones who were like, hey, let's make a project out of... Babby Um a possibly out of possibly three women who live in the woods and have a garden full of bones um but yes we would support (laughs) we would be incredibly grateful for any interaction feedback chats with you guys on all of our social media tell Um, your friends yes and also if you do really like what we're doing slash you want to support the work that we're not putting out yet, the yep. like much more complicated sort of in-depth narrative that we're building for season four, yep. new revamped Bobby Yaga so. for season four. Yeah. Um, consider consider Patreon. We yeah. would it would be it would be helpful. Yeah. Throw <laughs> us a yeah. ducat. Yes. All right. But thank you guys. Yeah. Bye. Thanks for taking a break. This Baba Yaga break time was brought to you by Patreon supporters just like you. Follow us at Baba Yaga Project on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok.